Well, I really want to uh, spend some time this morning and talking more about what we've been kind of talking about the last few weeks, and that is church. And today I want to focus on the significance of church. We've been spoke, we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago on the body of Christ, and we based that upon 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then last week we spoke on the process of church membership and why church membership and what's the importance of being a member of a local body. So I want to talk about church this morning, and I want to talk about the significance of, of what church is. Remember, what we talked about is church is it's who we are, not where we go. So you can be in church and not necessarily be in this building. If you're with a body of believers, you're in church. Okay? So it's not just about being here in this, in this building, other than the fact is that we do meet here, and it's good that we meet in a building, isn't it? Like we said last week, who wants to meet under the trees today? Nobody does. We, if, we wouldn't, if we didn't have a building, we wouldn't be here today. So the church is not in the building, but it's important. So I want to talk this morning about the significance of being in a local church body. What does it mean, and is it really necessary, do you believe? See, the, the world will have its own definitions, and it will offer lots of distractions and lots of reasons why it shouldn't be. And, and here's a sum of them. You know, to the world, the church is old-fashioned and outdated. It's only for old people or ladies. Yeah. It's a crutch for people who can't handle life. So you go to church. You believe in Jesus as a crutch. Nothing significant happens in church. We go there, and I'm not any different when I leave. So therefore, church is not important because it's not significant because I'm not different when I leave. Well, that's a whole different topic right there. I don't need church to have a relationship with God. I can have that wherever I'm at. Have you heard that one? There's a lot of reasons that the world gives for why they don't believe church is important. And this morning I pray that we can get through that and we can kind of talk a little bit about what that really means for us. But what do you think? Do you think they have a valid point? What have you, what have you thought about church over your time? What do you think? Is it, do they have a valid point? In your, in your experience, is it valid? Well, maybe so in some areas. Depends what church you choose. That's really good about it. That's a, that's a good point. But I want to read our text this morning, and our text this morning will help us on that. And that's what we just read before. Okay, read that with me now because it's all up there, so now nobody has an excuse why you don't speak out loud. Read it with me. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, what does it really mean? Have you, ever, have you really much, spent much time thinking about the question of church and, and why do you come to church? Why are you here? See, some may have been brought up in church and it just becomes a habit that I've always gone to church so I just come because it's habit others others this may be a new concept to you maybe church is kind of new some here can't wait to get back to church next week and some don't have that same feeling others come to others come to please others some are dragged and some do the dragging <laughs> Some come, some come because they feel like it, 
And some come even when they don't feel like it. Some feel very close to the church and could never see themselves being, not being a part of it. And others are ready to give up on the concept of church. So there's a lot of reasons, a lot of different purposes for you being here in the church this morning. And probably there's some validity to all of those things. But I want to focus on some questions that I'm going to give you right now so that we're going to talk about at the end of the sermon so that you can have some time to think about them. So this is some questions I want you to think about as we go through. What is my personal definition of church? What is mine? What is your personal definition of church? What do I want my church to be? Am I willing to do what it takes to make it that? Am I more than a Sunday morning Christian? Is church a place I just go to, or am I really a part of it? And then finally, is church significant to me? So this morning, as we go through these, this, this sermon today, or this message, or this discussion, I just really want to have you start thinking about that, so you can then formulate some ideas in your mind about church. Let's go back to our text. This is what it says, and I want to break it down today. I want to break down more about really what our text is and, and um, see that there's truth in God's Word. That there's truth in reading through something and then taking it to heart. So let's break this down a little bit, okay? Let's look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he whose promise is faithful. There's some key words here I want to focus on. Unswervingly. What does unswervingly mean? If, I go to, if you go to the concordance and... And, and look up the word in the Greek, the word that was unswervingly, it means steady and unchanging, not turning aside. To be unswerving is, is to be so set in what you believe that there's nothing that could make it make a change. In, in the context of the scripture, back in the day when this was written, there were those that were tempted to go back to the old style of Judaism. They were tempted to go back to the Old Testament law because they just maybe weren't getting it. They, and so the church that, that Paul was talking to here, um, they were, this was basically written to the Jewish, Hebrews was written to the Jews, and there were a lot of those that were, that were going back. And so Paul said, no, 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 hold unswervingly to the hope. Don't go back, don't be tempted to go back to what you thought was the right way when the old way, the Old Testament way, the law was never going to save you. It was only going to tell you how bad you were, but it was never going to save you. So he, uh, he encourages them that to hold unswervingly to what Jesus came to do in their life. And then hope, that we were to um, have that hope, that to the hope we profess, and hope there is defined as expectation. Expectation of what, do you believe? What do you think they're expecting? Something good will come out of the hope that I profess if I'm believing in the right thing. All right? So he's saying that hold unswervingly to the hope of the promise that you profess. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's how important hope is. If you don't have hope, you don't have anything. If you don't have hope in the future, if you have no, if hopeless people do bad things, hopeless people give up. 
Hopeless people turn their back on what is right. Hope is very important. But, it's, but the most important thing is what are you hoping in? We're hoping in He who promised. And who is that? He who promised? That's Jesus Christ. He who promised is Jesus. And, and that is that He, Jesus professed, or He laid claim to some things that He was going to do on your behalf if you would hold unswervingly to His promises. So we are to make the conscious choice to remain committed to the promise, not in myself, but in Jesus. And if I hope in Christ, when I hope in Jesus, there is a promise there, there is a hope there that will not be disappointed. You may not see it necessarily right now, but when you hold unswervingly to the hope, it, you will not be disappointed. There's a big difference here if you're hoping in yourself or hoping in Christ. Or if you're hoping in the world system versus hoping in the biblical system. There's a huge difference. Then it goes on to say faithful. That we hope we, for he who promised is what is faithful. What does faithful mean? Trustworthy, reliable. Jesus is reliable. There's nobody else that we can even begin to compare to Christ's faithfulness. He is the definition of faithful. He is the definition of reliable. He is the definition of being who he needs to be for you and your situation, no matter how bleak it is, no matter how dark it is, no matter how hopeless it is. He is the definition of hope. He is the definition of faithfulness. He is the definition of reliability. Just look around us. Look at nature. Just look at how God has been faithful in completing the things that he put his hands to. It's an amazing thing. To say to to paraphrase this, it says, let's let's take that verse and let's let's put it into what the um, Greek words define it to be. So it says to hold on steadily, without waver, to the expectation that Jesus, who is trustworthy and reliable, will do what he laid claim to do. That's a promise for you. That is something you can take to the bank and that you can count on it, and you know it's going to happen. Without question, it's going to happen. God's word declares his faithfulness to you even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't see it, even when you don't think it's there, he's faithful. And I have some more passages to back that up. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Read this with me. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. There it is. There's that faithful word. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Not only will you endure it, but you will be blessed by the blessing that will come because you endured it and because you persevered under it and through it. Second Thessalonians verse 3, For the, But the Lord is faithful. There's that faithful word again. And he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? Can you tell me? Can you give me one word? Can you give me one person? Can you give me one thing that can be against God and win? There's a lot of things that can be against God, right? But what's going to win against God? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing will win against God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, you, dear children, that's you and I, if, you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you are a child of the Lord. You are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
Now, if these four verses and the one prior to our, our, our memory verse, if this doesn't give you some level of hope or some level of understanding that we are on the right side, then I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> I don't know what else to do besides go to God's Word and read God's Word and believe it. So once that we're assured in this, then I think that we need to now look at how this applies to the church. What comes after that? I think sometimes we, we miss the mark sometimes because we, we think that everything about church is about me and what I get out of it. And I think this is why the church is, is unfulfilling to people. I think this is why the church has got a bad name because everybody would come to think and say it's just about me and mine and everything about me. And I think we've missed the mark a little bit here if we think that church is all about I'm going to walk out of here feeling blessed. I'm going to walk out here feeling I'm going to be pumped up. I'm going to be, um, it's all about me. Because it's not all about me, is it? Is it about me? Is it about you? I don't mean to be slamming anybody here. I don't mean to be blowing, popping anybody's bubbles here. But really, is life all about you? No. Well, then what is life about? It's about Jesus. It's about Christ being at the center point of our life. And once he's at the center point, then what? Then what's it about? Then it's about other people. It's about how we relate to other people. God did not make us to be lone wolves. He did not make us to be islands on our own. He made us to be part of a community. That's what we are. You know, I think they say in prison, one of the hardest things for prisoners is to be put in solitary confinement. Where you are in a little room, dark room by yourself, people go crazy. When you're by yourself, you just don't, you're not, you're not made that way. You're not made to be comfortable that way. You're not made to be fulfilled that way. You're made to be with people. So, that's what the church is. And this is where this verse then now takes us, because verse 24 says, now that we know that, now that it's not about me and you, what is it about? Well, it's about our job to spur one another on. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. All right, some key words again. Spur. What does it mean to spur? Spur can be a negative thing. Spur can be what you put on your, what cowboys put on the back of their cowboy boots to jab the horse. Yeah, Festus wore spurs. You could hear him rattling as he walked through Dodge. Right? And for the horse people, Scott, do you ever have to spur on your horse? Yeah. What does your horse do when you kick him in the ribs with the spurs? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> You can, you can find yourself on your back pretty easily if that horse has got enough gumption. Wow, there's a good analogy there. Absolutely. But to spur one another on sometimes can be not in a real positive way. <laughs> but to spur one another, it says encourage someone. This is what the Bible says. This is, a, this is the definition of the Greek word spur here. To encourage someone to try harder. To try harder. And that's what our job is. See, when we come into church, it's just not about me feeling good about myself. Somebody, some, maybe somebody's going to spur me in church. And maybe somebody's going to kick me in the ribs and say, Mike, you need to try a little harder. And I shouldn't get offended by that. 
I shouldn't get mad at that person because that person is asking me for my own benefit to try harder. Spur one another on. Love. To consider how we may spur them on towards love. Now, this is an interesting word, too, because this is defined as agape love. And agape love is, again, according to the Greek, the active love of God for his son and his people, and the active love his people are to have for God, each other, and even for their enemies. This is what agape love is. This is not the feel-good, mushy type of love that makes me look at everybody and says, I love you. No, sometimes it's an act of love. In fact, it is an act of love, and it might require a spur in me to get me going in it. But it is putting other people above myself. And it is putting the church above my needs. Because my job here is to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Deeds, good deeds, are considered work, activity, task, or jobs. There's nothing wrong, folks, when somebody encourages you to do work in the kingdom. This is not working for your salvation. It is a work in, in regards or in response to your salvation. And so when we do good works and good deeds, this is not working for your salvation. Don't get that confused. It is because I'm saved I work out my salvation. And I work it out through good deeds and good and through work and activity and tasks and jobs. So don't be offended when somebody comes up to you like that and encourage you. So let's let's paraphrase this verse. It says, So we are to encourage one another to agape love or active love toward one another, to get involved by doing good deeds through work, activity, tasks, and jobs within the Christian community we call the church. That's really what this verse is telling us to do, that when we consider how we may spur one another on, that we're actually encouraging each other to work harder, do more, get more involved. And when we do that, we'll see good things happen. All right, verse 25, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, now key words, giving up. This word giving up, when I, go, when I went back and looked at this, it, this is a very serious meaning of giving up. It is to forsake, leave, abandon in its most serious sense. And, and it actually referred to another scripture that is verse, Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. And this is when Jesus Christ was on the cross. And he cried out, cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the same word. It's the same Greek word. When we give up, it is forsaking God like God forsook Jesus as he hung on the cross bearing all my sin. So he's very serious about us not giving up meeting together. This is not just a casual Guys, come on, I wish you'd get together. No, what he's saying is, when you don't get together as a body in Christ, you are forsaking me like my Father forsook me on the cross. Pretty serious word, isn't it? Makes it pretty important, then, that we are to not forsake meeting each other, meeting together. Meeting together in the sense of being unified in a body as, as Christ is in us. That we're like-minded believers 
There's power, folks, in being together. There's power in unity. There's power in being one accord. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. What a great definition of the church, that we would value others within our body of like-minded believers as more valuable than me, and that I will serve them humbly. I will come in humility and serve my brother and my sister. That's what it means to meet together. But yet... Some were in the habit or the custom or practice of not meeting together. See, even in the early church, the church was already struggling in people habitually not coming to church. Now, I'm not talking about those because you have a sickness or you're ill or you're gone or you're on vacation or you have a, you know, a, a casual um, attendance. But I'm talking about for those that get in the habit of not coming to church. That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking to those people that had priorities that they would place above God. See, when I put my priority to serve myself because I don't want to come to church today, that's a problem because, see, when I come to church, there may have been someone there that I needed to spur on and encourage. Encouraging one another is begging, pleading, exhorting, comforting, urging, and inviting... Strong words that he uses here when we encourage one another. Yeah. The Lord's just really showing me something, and I think, really for the first time. And I hope that what I say will incur do exactly what you're saying, encourage one another. I'm going to beg, plead, and exhort, because I've always read this scripture as, don't give up going to church. And, and I get that part about the giving up, forsaking. It's a very serious abandoning, not just missing it here and there. Don't give up for meeting together. So it means two things under your definition of meeting together. Don't give up going and being with those people regularly, mm -hmm. as some have gotten in the habit of not doing. And don't give up meeting together in the sense of when you are with the people, when we're together, don't give up being unified in our minds and in our, as a body of believers. And I think this is where we have struggled because you can be at every church service with this body but we come in through those doors with our own agenda and we, or our own desire to see something happen in church that's our way or that we like, whether it's the worship or the music or the pastor or, or I mean just anything. And when we're not unified as a body, we're disunified. We're in discord. We're not of one accord. We're in discord. And I think that that's what gets tiring and 
that's where the battle sometimes is, and that's where the cynicism of the world sees. And so it's not just so important to, to be together in the sense of physically and spiritually being together, but coming through those doors, and if there's something that we need to lay aside of our own agenda, let's fo- come in and, and focus on the things we have in common. Yeah, that's good. Because we can, we can always find those things on common, right. in common, but we tend to just trip over all the things that we have a disagreement about. Amen, that's good. That's a good word. I, I appreciate this. Thanks for interrupting. This, you didn't interrupt at all. You just, you just really made a, good, um, a really good point in that when we are here, we are here for a purpose bigger than ourselves. We're here for each other, for the person sitting next to you. you that's why you're here. You're there for them. That's a good word. And so we're just not coming in just to be here. We're coming in to be a part of the body. That's good. So here we are. So we are not to forsake or abandon each other as some who are not in like-mindedness are in the custom of doing. But rather, we are to stay unified together, encouraging, begging, pleading, exhorting, comforting, urging, calling, and inviting each other, and all the more as the days are getting worse before he returns. Because that's the day of the Lord. What he's referring to here, the day, the day approaching, is the rapture. Guys, it's getting darker around us all the time, and this is the, even the more why we need to be together. This is even the more why we need to encourage each other, because who else is going to encourage you in dark days? When time is going bad and life is not good for you, who else is going to be there? If you're not rooted in a church, what is going to happen? So if we are to live as a church in the last days... I think Jesus gives us the best answer. And this is your memory verse for next week. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, that's how the world sees us differently is if we really, really love each other with agape love, the active love that we are here to serve each other and they see people here that are different classes, different social statuses, different whatever we are different in, but yet we love each other as Christ loves us because we must love one another as Christ loves us. If we're going to really be the church, there's no question here. There's no option here. You must love your brother and sister if you're going to be in the church. If you're going to be in the church that Jesus is coming back for, then you must love your brothers and sisters. And we must do for people. Brothers and sisters are not physical brothers and sisters. We're talking spiritual brothers and sisters. The love here is agapeo, which is the same definition as agape. The act of love of God for his son and his people and the act of love his people are to have for God each other and even for their enemies. So here, let's go back to those questions that we had at the beginning. Okay, Now that we have some understanding of what the Word says about what the definition of church should be, now let's go back and let's talk, let's, in your own mind, or even if you want to give some discussion on this, I'm very welcome for discussion. What is your definition of church? What is your personal definition of church now? Has it changed at all? 
Is it any different? What do I want my church to be? What do you want your church to be like? And am I willing to do what it takes to make it what I want it to be? Am I willing to be that agape love? Am I willing to spur on my brother? Am I willing to be spurred on? Or do I take offense quickly and easily? Am I going to be more than a Sunday morning Christian? See, if church to you is just coming to church on Sunday morning, then is that really being the church? I'll let you answer that one. Is church a place I just go to, or am I really a part of it? And that's exactly what Vicki was talking about. That when we come in, are we really a part of the body? Do we really see each other as family? Do we really see each other as a reason to be here and a purpose? And now, is church significant to me? Is being a part of this body significant to you? You need the church. Let me tell you right now. Let me just give you some reasons why you need the church. Number one, the local church, through the preaching of the gospel, is a place for salvation for the unbeliever and the growing and nurturing of the new believer. You need the church for this reason right here, for the, for the new unbeliever or the new believer. Number two, the church provides teaching and stability, which is a strong defense against error. We talked about that in Sunday school today, about how we put on the full armor of God and how we have to stand in the truth. And the first piece of armor we put on is the truth of God's Word. Well, if you are in a Bible-believing church and a Bible-teaching truth or church, then that's what we talk about. We talk about the truth of God's Word and how that, in, how that empowers us. Where else are you going to get that in this dark world? Where else are you going to get that? You're not going to get it at the bar. You're not going to give it at the basketball games. You're not going to get it at work necessarily. That's one of the purposes of church, that we come together and we speak God's Word. Number three, the church provides a place to receive power for service. For service. See, we are more powerful as a unified body than we are individually. When we, when we combine our resources, when we combine our offerings and our money and our resources, we can be more powerfully serving the rest of the world our community, and the world. Number four, the church is a body of believers to whom we can turn to in times of sorrow, sickness, and discouragement. Now, how many of you here this morning have ever come into a church brokenhearted? I felt that this morning. I felt that was the, re that's, I felt that was the call this morning, that, that there were people here that were having a hard time getting encouraged in their own right. They were struggling in their adequacy in their sense of calling. But see, this is what the church will do. This is the church that will come around you and support you and to uplift you and to edify you and to pray for you when you're either sick in spirit or sick in health. If you're times of sorrow or discouragement, how many people want to have a good church when you have a funeral? How many people want to have a good church when you have a wedding? <laughs> how many people want to have a, a good church when you have a sick child? You know, I can remember as a kid, the first thing we did when I, was, when I was sick, the first thing my mom and dad would do would call the pastor, and the pastor would come over to my house and pray for us. I can remember Don Shorsch, and I can remember some of these men when we were sick, and I can remember being sick in bed, and, and we didn't call the doctor first, we called the pastor first. I don't know that we do that anymore. I haven't gotten any calls lately. Why don't we go to Jesus first? 
That's what the church is about, right? The church needs you. They need you because they need people to be contributing members. They, the church needs you. We need you. Every, there's a spot for you in this church. We need your time, your resources. Everyone has a place and a role to fill in your local church. There's not one person here that doesn't have a place to fill in this church. Is that significant enough? Is that enough reason? Is there enough significance here now? Can you see the purpose of church and what it's all about? To be significant for you to be a part of? I hope so. I pray so. This morning we're going to have communion in a few minutes. And, uh, but before we have communion, I just want to, I want to ask you to just close your eyes and just reflect a moment here. And reflect on really what church is about for you. What does it really mean? Jackie, if you'd come, just play softly. I just want to, all of us, would just to be examine our heart a little bit. And maybe we have some correctional things to do in our heart about church. Maybe we have a wrong impression of church. Maybe we, maybe we think church is an hour and a half. And, you know, two hours, two and a half hours if you go to Sunday school. And we think, wow, I, I've really sacrificed because I've been two and a half hours on a Sunday in church. Wow. And then to think, well, I've got to go to church on Wednesday. Well, that's another hour. Three and a half hours I've spent in church this week. I mean, if that's, if that's how you measure church, then I, I question maybe if you're really measuring it the right way. Because it's not about how many hours you spend in church. It's really more exactly what Vicki pointed out, is that when you're here, are you involved in the church? Are you seeing your purpose, your role, your place to fill? Are you seeing the ministry that God has allowed and appointed you to do? I was one of those guys that didn't figure I had to be here. I could be out on a stump in the woods. I could be in my boat fishing. And I could see God, and I could be with God, and I could be part of God out there. Yes, I could be. And yes, you can be. But then to come in and be part of a fellowship and be part of a body that can minister to me and I can minister to you and, and, and be part of what is here means so much more to me. And I, I hope if you make that decision, you can come in and, and be part of this body and We'll welcome you in. You're welcome without it. You're welcome with it. But it's still more than what you can do by yourself or anyplace else. Thanks, Lawrence, for that exhortation and for that encouragement. Because so many times the church can be, um, as a pastor, talking about come to church. Because you can so easily uh, think it's about the pastor. You can so easily think about, well, that's your job. You're paid to be here. You're paid to say that. And the more people that come to your church, the more money you're going to make or the, be the better you're going to look in the community or the more you're going to have to preach to. And, and you, know, you, can, you can focus on that, but that's not the point. Please hear my heart. That's not the point. 
The point is it's about you and others in this church, about other people in this community, that when they see a church come together in unity, whether we're 30 people strong or 3,000 people strong, if it's about Jesus and it's about us focusing on Christ, that's what the church is. Amen. Why don't you, um, those that would like to partake this morning and celebrate as a church the Lord's table, Let's come up and let's have communion together. And You do not have to be a member of this church to have communion. This is having Jesus in your heart and Jesus in your life. And if Jesus is in your heart and life, then communion is all about you. This is what it's for. We're celebrating the Lord's table. I'm going to do something a little bit different today. This morning, I'm, I'm, going, to have, I'm going to ask someone else here this morning as, for, as a form of testimony would you tell me what the body of Christ means to you why, why are we eating this cracker what does it mean to you pure and simple on the night before his death Jesus said do this do this in remembrance of me take this cup and eat my flesh and that's what it means to me. Just, just, I do it in remembrance to keep that thought of what that sacrifice he did for us the yeah. following day. Yeah. Would you pray? Pray over this bread. This is precious, Lord. The symbol of your death, of your flesh that you gave on the cross. You gave it freely. Yes. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake together of the cracker. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's just thank Him for a moment. The body, what it meant, what Jesus endured on the cross for us. Amen. Who'd like to share about the blood? What does the blood mean to you? What does the blood of Christ mean to you? Anyone? Jack is playing it right now. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me. And uh, what it means is that God doesn't look at me as who I am. He looks at me through the filter of Jesus. Amen. And because of that, I'm holy. Amen. Because of that, I'm righteous. Because of that, I get to go to heaven. Not because of me, right? but because of Jesus. The Amen. blood of Jesus washes me. Amen. Would you pray for us, Scott? Amen. Lord, without you, <laughs> heaven is an empty place. Yes. But you didn't want heaven to be an empty place. You wanted your children to be there with you. Amen. So in your plan, Jesus sacrificed himself. And for those of us who said, yes, "Yes, Lord, thank you, we accept that sacrifice. That's all we need. The blood of Jesus washes me. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For your sacrifice. Amen. You were a real person. 
you really suffered just like we have. So you get it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us to the understanding. And thank you, God, for your mercy and grace in having the plan of salvation. For having my salvation in mind when you put me together. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. 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 Let's partake together. Thank you, Father, for that. Let's just uh, sing the song that Jackie's playing as our benediction this morning. If you want to pray, if anything is still burning on your heart, we're here to pray with you. But let's just celebrate this evening or this uh, this meal, this supper, Lord's supper. Let's just celebrate it in this song in Jesus' name.
Father, we thank you now, and we just bless your name. We give you praise, and we give you glory for the victory that we have for the blood of Christ. What a great way to end this service, Father, by just thanking you for your mercy and your grace. Go with us throughout this day now and just give us your blessing, give us your anointing. And God, I pray that you'd be pleased with our life and are pleased with what we are and who you and what our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Be blessed this morning as you go.